We're going to be in Genesis 2 and 3. But worshiping with you for the first half hour, I um, can't help but notice um, you know, the themes of the songs we've sung, the beautiful job that Jacob did leading us in prayer and altar, reading from Psalm 51, and just what we're saying here. If somebody here happens to not know this yet, maybe you're hearing the gospel for the first time or haven't heard it much, you've heard a lot about how bad we are so far today, the brokenness in the world. And while that is all true, and we believe that, you're also going to hear me say, I hope, over the next few minutes that God loves you. I say it every week. And God loves you just the way you are. Um, and then we say pithy things like, and far too much to let you stay that way. Because we're constantly trying to find the, the language, the wording, the right way to talk about this intense tension that exists in Scripture, that exists coming from what we believe is the truth of the gospel, that we are so broken, and yet God loves us just as we are, and that God's mercy is so much more, that God's grace is greater than our sin, that we were so broken even in our mother's womb, which kind of is baffling. Like, what have we done at that point, right? That could be so bad. And, and, and I'm asking you to grapple with that tension and to trust your church family as we work through the ramifications of that, as we talk about what the big story is. And we have to be quite nuanced at times. Like, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that I don't know exactly the right way to help us all understand the brokenness in God's love and how that works together. I have ideas. I work those out in front of you every week and you graciously sit there for however many minutes and, and let me do that. What I know is, is that you are not completely impure. But there's also not a part of you and me that is completely pure. And somehow both of those are true. So as we continue with the big story today, using themes from Genesis 2 and 3 in the text there, um, I'm praying for us as we consider that which we confess, the things that we've done wrong and the things that we've left undone. Pray with me. Lord, bless our church. Bless this time as we open your text and and try to understand this tension as we open up more of the big story. As we open ourselves up to seeing your grace working in our lives. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So our problem this morning is that we're created for good. And we talked about that last week, God's perfect design, created for good. And yet there is so much bad. There's so much bad. So turn with me to Genesis 2. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your, your Bible, that's fine. Verse 
Verse 16 in chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Looking down at chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it or you'll die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows when... When you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. We looked at the three circles, which originated from the family church down in Florida, throughout Florida, um, Jimmy Scroggins Church, last week, and we had some graphics that go with them. We have actually a little... Uh, pamphlets, booklets uh, in the foyer in the um, atrium that we'd love for you to take. These can be helpful in explaining the gospel to a friend that you may be having an ongoing gospel conversation with. They're very helpful to remind ourselves of the gospel. And it's called the three circles. And it begins with God's design in the first circle. And then we move into the realm of what we're going to be talking about today when sin enters the world. We just read about it and creates this brokenness. And then from the brokenness, we are given away, and we'll get to this in the next two weeks, through Jesus, through repentance and belief in God's Son, to be made whole, to understand the gospel, and then to partner with God, co-laborers, the Apostle Paul called us, to recover and pursue God's restoration project. This, uh, I have another graphic Kairos meets every Tuesday night on Brentwood's campus, and Chris Brooks, who teaches during that time, he and his team came up with this particular graphic. Yes, that one right there, which is similar, um, but it has a little bit of different uh, language, which I think could be helpful to us. Across the top, uh, there are four words used to help us understand the big story, creation, and then separation, then redemption, and restoration. We are not random or accidental. God's design is perfect, and we are created to be in harmony. The Israelites called this harmony shalom with God, but separation happened. At the bottom, you'll see a more alliterative um, sample of words that I like as well that Chris uses, beauty, brokenness, baptism, and blessing. Beauty, brokenness, baptism, and blessing. Now, our problem is that, remember, we're created 
for good. And yet there is so much bad. We all encounter the second rung of this progression of the big story. Brokenness and separation is part of our story. But in light of this, I want to tell you some things that I understand to be true as it relates to our problem. Our problem being that we're created for good, and yet there's so much bad. First, God made you and God loves you. There it is. You're so bad, and God made you and loves you. But I want to tell you that it's true. So for me, I was, I was about 25, and I had just finished school, just begun my first job, and my great-grandmother, whom I was very close with, I've told you about her before, Mima, um, matriarch of our family, she passed away, and we had a celebration of her life, and I was asked to offer some, some words, really one of the first sermons I ever preached as I considered Mima's life and reflected upon it. What I realized in preparing was how much Mima loved me. Not just me. I may have been her favorite, but <laughs> loved us. And so I'm considering what to say about my great-grandmother, and I'm considering her legacy and her daughter, my grandmother's legacy, and my mother, and how I had no doubt as a 25-year-old who really hadn't done a whole lot in life yet, but I had no doubt that I was loved. And because of that, I had no doubt that I was lovable. So it occurred to me that I had never had trouble being presented with the gospel my whole life, son of a preacher, to believe it. It fit my experience. I was lovable. And I want you to know that God loves you, that you are lovable. But you may not have had a meemaw like I did. And it may not fit your experience like it does mine. In fact, I, I, I was, I've been reminded so much in recent days, weeks, months of how much pain there is as a result of families not being nearly as blessed as mine was. I'm grateful. I had no, I, I had no problem understanding that God loves me, loves those around me. God loves you. God created you and God loves you. Second, the person sitting next to you, God made them. God loves them as well. I'm going to ask you to do some hard work right now. Search your soul. Do you believe that? Do you know it? Because God made them and loves them as well, they're your neighbor. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus taught. And we are to love our neighbor. And last, God rules and provides for the world. God rules and provides for the world. Now, these are some assumptions that I want us to believe to be true. I have found them to be true. They fit my experience, and I hope they do yours as well, at least to enough of an extent for you to hold them as true in your heart. God created you and loves you. Same goes for the person next to you, and God rules and provides for the world. And what is wrong with the world? We come, come up with our dilemma today, our problem. What is wrong with the world? Where, where separation and brokenness occur is that we, me and my neighbor, we have refused to fully believe that God rules and provides for the world. We call this sin. And sin is not just as we prayed in the prayer of confession from the Book of Common Prayer. It's not just what we 
do wrong or fail to do right, but sin is actually the root cause of all of that. And Genesis 3 gives us an account of this that helps explain this about ourselves. And we believe we can trace the the world's brokenness and our separation from God all the way back to what happened in the Garden of Eden. Now, on our honeymoon, Leslie Ann and I, we, uh, we took a trip and, uh, we, this was, we got married really young. We were like 23. Um, we weren't like 23. We were 23 and we took off for Costa Rica. I had saved and saved and saved for this trip. It costs a lot of money. Um, took me a while to save cause I didn't have a job yet. Leslie Ann did. She was a big time nurse and like 20 bucks an hour. That's why I married her for her money. I don't know why she married me. I had no, no job. And so we went to Costa Rica and it was a really nice resort. It was all inclusive, which I was so excited about because you could just eat all these meals. I tried everything because that's what we do for those that we love, right? We, we spend, we, we go on trips. Uh, but I did uh, take advantage of like an $80 savings to fly out at like, I don't know, 5 a.m. the morning after our wedding. That was stupid. <laughs> Leslie Ann's sitting there thinking he's just as cheap now as he was then. <laughs> I'm frugal. Frugal. One of the nights we were there, we had dinner with another couple. You remember this? Pete and Jill. Really sweet. Like we were just meeting people. We were all so happy. They were on their honeymoon too. And so we had dinner together. And Pete and Jill were from, I don't remember where they were from exactly, Pennsylvania, I think. I may be making that up. But uh, we, we talked and got to know one another. And the conversation you know, went to where we were from and what we believed. And we were all four Christians as it happened. And that was cool. And for some reason, the conversation turned to the, the story in the garden. And I remember Pete and Jill explaining that they didn't read that story like I had always read that story. Now, while they understood it to be chock full of, you know, truth for us uh, about ourselves and about God, they read it as metaphor. And I had never done that. In fact, I studied business at Belmont. My theological education was later. And so I, I really hadn't been far outside of my bubble and I hadn't met anybody that really thought like this. So I was shocked. <laughs> they were just as shocked to find out how we read this story. And I thought that was so interesting. Um, yeah, here were four Christians having dinner together, and we fundamentally disagreed on whether or not the events in the garden actually happened. And I've learned 16 years later that that's Okay. There are many Christians who read this story as a metaphor. There are many who read it literally. There are many of us that read it both ways. And that's okay. What I've learned is more important is the truth that it conveys about God and about us. Because something does not have to be historical to be true. Now, you have to have faith like a child to read this story as I do. I I say this because the snake starts talking, right? I mean, let's just be honest. Now... Maybe that's not as foreign as I am proposing to you it is because every day we get example of a three-year-old in our house who sits up in her bed when she's supposed to be napping and carries on vivid conversations with every stuffed animal that has ever been created. 
And I think because these conversations are so in-depth that they're probably talking back to her. But it's still amazing that the snake engaged Eve and Adam. Karl Barth, famous Swiss theologian, was once asked whether or not... I mean, he was an authority on so much of how the church was forming during the period of the Reformation and, and after it. He didn't live during the Reformation, but he commented on it um, throughout his life and was an authority on how to read the text. The stuff he produced is incredible, his reflection upon Scripture and how Jesus interacts with creation. And he was asked because people wanted to know whether or not he thought the snake really talked in the garden. And the story goes that Bart quickly and emphatically said it was not as important whether or not the snake spoke. What was important is what the snake said. Love that. And the snake said, did God really say, Eve, that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Totally twisting God's words. No, you won't die. See, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. And you'll know good and evil. Is the snake whispering to you? Have you heard Something trying to get you to believe that there's something that you lack in this world. That God is keeping you from from something that you could have that would fill your needs even better. That you could have more out of life. That you are incomplete. That you and how God has made you. And I've told you already over and over again that God's design is perfect. But it's someone or something whispering into your ear that you are incomplete. Eugene Peterson says that we are taught rivalry from the womb. You see, verse 8 in chapter 3, the text says that Adam and Eve heard the Lord walking with them in the garden. God was there. Man, I would like that. As I try to understand the tension between this brokenness and the the conviction that I have that God loves me. In those most difficult moments, I wish the Lord was just walking right over there and I could just reach to him and ask him what to do in a certain situation. And the text reads that the Lord was there. I mean, this was some heavy lifting that the snake did to deceive Eve because they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. You see, folks, we were born to need God. We have, we have always needed God. That's what this story speaks to from the very beginning. The first people ever got to be with God. God was walking with them in the garden. This was God's design for us to be with God. We have always needed God. Pastor David Lowe's, whom I love reading, he suggests that we have a God-shaped hole in each and every one of us. But we've never been without God, this story teaches us, in spite of our God-shaped hole. But the big story, as we, as we talked about last week, this big story is, N.T. Wright says, God making God's self known to creation. So the only explanation for the brokenness in our world 
is what we see portrayed here in the garden. We've been deceived and we continue to be deceived. And I ask you this morning because it may be a seminal moment for one of you in this room that you are actually faced with the fact that you have been deceived, that sin does affect you, that your heart is not pure completely, that you need Jesus. Can you see your own deception? Can I? Can we see our own sin? You see, the serpent, the snake, talked Adam and Eve into believing they could fill their God-shaped hole apart from God, that God was keeping them from the good life. But the truth is, they were never going to be without God, and neither are we. We just get deceived into believing we can do better. We, we get deceived into filling our God-shaped hole with other things. But God said, eat It's like all those meals I ate in Costa Rica. Eat from every tree in the garden. It's all yours. Just don't eat from that one. Because if you do, you'll know what I know. You'll have to deal with the juxtaposition of of good and evil. And I don't don't want you to have to do that. You'll have to constantly be evaluating what is good and what is not good. And be affected by your evaluations of that. Just don't do it. Just trust me, God says. But Adam and Eve wanted to fill that hole. They wanted to explore that new vista. They were duped into believing that God was surely keeping them from all the fun. Surely there was even more meaningful identity to be found on the other side of partaking in what that tree had to offer. Now, it's interesting to me with our problem being that we were created for good, yet there's so much bad. So much brokenness and separation. And while the creation account, it does say that God pronounced everything God created as good, including humans, I believe this story does teach us that we humans are not perfect or complete. It's not good for man to be alone, God said. Needs a helper. Whether that's family or or siblings or a a spouse or, or friends, Adam and Eve were drawn into intimate relationship with one another, with creation and with God, precisely because they were incomplete. There was this God-shaped hole within them. Perhaps the better way to say this is not incomplete, but that we were created. We are created for one another, and we are. And our brokenness, it gives context to what we are called to. First, from our Genesis 2 passage and how, how we were called out and, and, and given license to eat from any tree, God had just asked Adam to tend and care for all of creation. Adam named all the animals. We are set apart to serve and preserve creation. This is what God is asking us to do, to serve and preserve creation. And we're called to do it for one another. You see, on our own, we're created good, yet we're also in need. We're dependent. We're, we're actually unable to serve and preserve the world as God would have us to apart from one another and certainly apart from God. All summer long, as we went through Ephesians, I used this simple little figure of God, and then there's us, and then there's us. And we are to be connected to one another and in turn connected to God. And this is how it is to be Adam and Eve created for relationship with each other and with God. 
We're created for relationship with one another and for God. God who invites us to be co-creators in the serving and preserving of all living things. I believe that God offers us three things as we wind this down. But I want you to consider these with me. Our identity, our purpose, and our mission. Our identity is to, is to know we're called to be children of God. That we are part of God's family. That God is so much more than even Meemaw was to me. That you were created for good and loved. We're created for purpose. To serve and preserve, as we just said. I love the tweet that our senior pastor, Mike Glenn, tweeted out this week. You're not an accident, and you're not... You're not a bunch of carbon and protein that got together. Your life has meaning and your life has a purpose. It does. And then our mission, so that others may know that they are God's children. Another way that we say this is alliterative as well. It's our gospel, groups, and go language. Our mission statement that we engage each whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anytime, anywhere, with anybody. That these gospel conversations that we, that we embark upon that we seek people out in our lives that may come across our paths, that we are able to, over time, share the good news of Jesus with anyone who is lost and searching and trust the Holy Spirit with the results. We proclaim the gospel. We need one another, so we get in groups, and then we go, because there are still folks that have not heard the gospel our identity, our purpose, and our mission. Our problem is just what it is. Brokenness and separation abounds, and there is a God-shaped hole in each of us. And we are created, literally created, to help one another. It's part of our serving and preserving to see that it is only God that can fill that hole. And we'll get to the details and the ramifications of that in the next Two weeks. One of my favorite preachers, I've told you many times, is Fred Craddock. He died a few years ago. He once told his church that his mother raised them in church, but his dad never went. We used to have this thing called Tuesday night visitation. Some of you might remember, and that's when the deacons and the pastors would go around and knock on people's doors and make them feel guilty for not coming to church. And Dr. Craddock's house, when he was a boy, would get visited often because his daddy never went to church. And after every time the deacon would leave, now his dad was kind to him, but he would just simply look at Fred's mama and say, I'm not going. All they want is another member, another pledge, another member, another check. But the deacons would keep coming by and encouraging Fred's father come to church and Fred said he must have heard it a thousand times another member another pledge another check but one time he didn't say that he was in the veterans hospital and he was down to about 70 pounds and they'd taken his throat out couldn't speak he couldn't eat Fred says I looked around my dad's hospital room and I couldn't hardly see that was a double negative Sorry, I could hardly see the furniture. There were so many flowers, so many cards, five, six, seven rows deep all around his bed. Every single one of them had come 
from the family's church, from the groups, from the deacons, from the church. His dad saw Fred reading a few of the cards, and his dad interrupted him by waving his hand at him, and he grabbed a pen and scribbled something on the napkin and handed it to Fred with tears in his eyes. He took the napkin from his father, and on it were just three words. I was wrong. I think we're a church that is really close and oftentimes does a really good job of helping people see that they're wrong. Where are your brokenness? Not as a badge, just as a reality. Don't act like it doesn't affect you. Because we know the truth. It's not the end of our story. It's not the last word. God created you. God loves you. The person next to you as well. Let's pray.